Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast featuring conversations with the most accomplished, admired, and amazing female revenue leaders throughout B2B tech. Taking the Lead is hosted by Christina Brady, a sales leader, lifelong learner, and president of Sales Assembly. This show is brought to you by Sales Assembly, the industry's first and only scale-as-a-service platform that helps high-growth tech companies scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. Visit salesassembly.com to learn more. And now, let's jump into the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Taking the Lead. I'm Christina Brady, president of Sales Assembly, and this episode is brought to you by our incredible sponsors, Showpad, Vidyard, and Motion. Let's start with Showpad. They are the best thing to ever happen to your sales team. With Showpad, you can enable your team to win with the content and the training that they need to drive more meaningful customer conversations. Visit showpad.com if you want to learn more. And now Vidyard. I couldn't think of a better business for the times that we are in right now and as we build for the future. Vidyard is essentially built for business. Sales reps use Vidyard to record videos that'll grab your prospect's attention better than any email. And they're not just your plain old video hosting platform. You can create personalized video experiences, track video performance and analytics, and integrate video data into your CRM for follow-up. Who wouldn't want that? They're essentially the enterprise video platform of choice for thousands of sales teams around the world. Check them out. And lastly, we could not produce this podcast without our incredible partnership with the team at Motion. They're a podcasting service for marketing teams in B2B tech. They launch podcasts like ours. They do the audio. They do the video. They can help you with written content. They can help you write blogs. Anything you need to produce a quality show, they are there. You can find them at motionagency.io. Now let's get down into it. Today, our guest is Lorena Morales. She is the VP of Marketing at Go Nimbly. Welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Christy. I think it's uh, great when, when I started to work with Sales Assembly a while back. I think the entire team is fantastic. And now getting to know you, it's such a privilege to be here now. Oh my gosh, I could not share the same sentiment more. The one thing that I will say, and I am not just flattering you, I mean this, but every time that I hear you or someone from Go Nimbly lead a session, facilitate, I have to get out my pen and paper because I learned something. And so I'm probably more excited about this session than anybody because I know, I just know what you all bring. And so that being said, let's talk a little bit about you first and what got you where you are. So you have been in marketing for a long time. I mean, if we go way back to Visual House and then Zoom 3D and Center for Social Dynamics and Fit 3D all the way now to your experience at Go Nimbly, tell us about your journey, how you got into this field, how you elevated to the position of VP. What is your story? Yeah, you mentioned my entire employment history. <laughs> it's kind of a long one, I know. I feel like the first thing to know about me is I've been in marketing a little more than a decade, just without the official titles, right? And I think that's why I not necessarily believe in the title, even though over the past seven years, I've been lucky enough that the title matches the responsibilities. And I don't think everyone can say the same. So I think I've just been lucky and very, very hard working. So I I think to better serve the audience and to better let them 
know me is I am an immigrant. I am Mexican. I've been in the Bay Area over 10 years now. I lived in New York a little bit. And yes, I had to work in a lot of companies, all sizes, all industries. And that's what makes me what I call now a master generalist. What it means is I am the worst nightmare of my father. I am kind of the Jane of all trades, which now it's a good thing because for the sizes of companies that I've worked for, I am very dangerous in every single stage that the company faces. Today, as you said, yeah, I am the VP of marketing at Gonimbly, which is the first revenue operations consultancy that came to market back in 2016. So not only we were the pioneers on creating the category, but we are the only ones as of today that are doing the executional work. So yeah, how I have grown, I think it has to do with people, Kristen. It has to do with the ability of putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. And I think, I mean, you just mentioned my work, but I think it has nothing to do with work. The thing is, Christina, when you are born in a good situation with surrounded with a great family and great friends, you start to, to say, I kind of have to do better than what I have been shown. And I come from success. My family is very successful, both in personally and also in business. So I think the idea of coming to a country that is not mine, where I needed to change everything from the way I eat to the way I laugh to the way I understand business, that shaped me quite a bit. And a lot of no's and a lot of rejection, but uh, every single year that I heard, I took the opportunity. So that's how I am here. That's what I suspected. And I never want to make any assumptions about your history, but I imagine that being an immigrant and being a female, working in tech where you do, there had to be some hardship along the way. <laughs> I imagine you have experienced more struggle than a lot of us who don't have those hurdles in our lives already there. Yeah, but, but it could sound like, oh, I am the big team and oh, I need to work four times more than an American. It is true, don't misunderstand me, but every single thing was a decision because I could have been in Mexico and I could have had like an easy job and I could have, I don't know, having a normal relationship in a normal country with my car and a nice apartment, whatever. And yet still I decided to came without anything no friends, no nothing, and just my education. And that's the way I started. So I think what makes me proud is precisely that, that I don't see myself as a victim of the situation because I know every single thing was, was a conscious decision. I mean, deciding to do the unimaginable, I think is the, opt the opposite of, of victim. It's strength against all odds. What prompted you to not only grab the bull by the horns and take this opportunity, but also to get into the field that you're into? Were you always interested in it? Like you did two things. You came here against all odds and you dealt with, again, unimaginable barriers that a lot of us can't even understand, but then you broke into a field and into an industry that many people want to. How did you decide to go the direction that you did? Oh, that's a good one. And it is a bit punishing. I know SaaS, it's very attractive. It's a lot of movement, it's hyper growth. Yeah, it's kind of the fun kid of the block. And I think before going nimbly, I never really got the chance to choose a job or an industry because of my immigrant status and I was depending on a visa, etc., etc. And then that clarified and I got my green card. And so it was the first time that I said, where and how do I want to do this? 
So when I hit Gonimbly, I told to my CEO, my current boss, I told him like, you know what, you're taking a risk. I have no idea of what it says. I have even less about revenue operations. But you know what? I am itchy and this is kind of weird and it's kind of, I don't know, there's something in it because people don't understand it. And I've always been very attracted to the things that people don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds kind of weird, but uh, when I jumped into it, I understood how to operationalize everything from marketing to sales operations to customer success and the speed that these companies do it and the way they perform it was just mind-blowing Christina it was like beyond my imagination so I think how I ended up here I think by saying you know what hell yeah if I say no I already lost 50% of all my chances so but if I say yes maybe that 50% is gonna take me somewhere and it did I love your ability to take risks and your ability to just say, you know what, I want to do it and I'm going to do it. And not just that, but even leading into our topic of today, it's doing what you do better than anybody. And I feel like a professional, especially in your field, in marketing, in revenue operations, they're usually really good at telling people how to do things very well. But what you're very good at and what GoNimbly is very good at is, okay, we're not only going to show you how to do things very well, but we're also going to identify what not to do, what can go wrong, what are the gaps that are created, where are your holes in your revenue and how do we plug those? To me, it's almost like a level 2.0 from what's out there. And so talk to me just a little bit about the idea of gap first thinking and how that's relevant to B2B SaaS in your experience. I think everything around gap first thinking, I mean, we have coined the term being at a consultancy and now it's part of our IP. I think everything started with revenue operations as a model because what the methodology tells you is your customer is first and foremost than anything else. The days that product-led companies were succeeding, I think they are gone and they are gone for a good reason because the era where you need to be hyper vigilant of your customer happened almost by miracle. And I think the pandemic kind of double clicked on it and made everyone more conscious about it. So when we were thinking at GoNimbly of how do we start releasing this very tactical content and this part of what we are and who we've served in the past with companies like Sendes, Coursera, PagerDuty, etc. I think the first thing was, okay, what is a gap? How do you understand a gap? And starting from the basics. And for us, Christina is understand that a gap is every single thing that affects your customer in a negative way, that's a gap. And when we started to, to design the entire content and interviewing thought leadership and everything, we started to see, hey, you know what? There's a framework to do this. And I have the fortune to have been in formal education for design thinking and human-centered design and all these methodologies that came to stay. And boom, three years after, I am still applying them. And I am one of the very few leaders that paid money to learn these things and that I spent two years of my life understanding them with companies like Nike and Airbnb back then. And so I was very lucky that I saw these methodologies live from very early stages of my career. And so now at GoNimbly, the entire gap thinking starts where, okay, what's the why? And, and why are these gaps existing? And then I can talk to you a little bit more of how you saw them and how you kind of move forward on okay we have identified there's gaps in our customer life cycle now what do you do but yeah that's kind of a little bit of like the why it like that type of content exists now at Gonimbly. I, I think it's very interesting for everyone that is looking to 
to start thinking about profit it's not about growth for the sake of growth anymore i think businesses even if you are in early stages like seed funding series a please start thinking about revenue and therefore in profit yeah Absolutely. And I imagine, too, you mentioned the pandemic, and I would be willing to bet, because I've experienced this personally, 90% of companies and organizations don't realize they have a gap until something goes wrong, and they're losing money, and there's a leaky bucket, and then they go, oh my gosh, we have this gap, but they may not even know truly where it's coming from, or how to identify it. And so I imagine a lot of the work that you do, you're kind of called in at that stage, where, oh my gosh, we just identified this big problem. Is that the case? Did the pandemic help to really make people acknowledge, oh my gosh, we have things that are broken? Obviously, yeah. I think a lot of the companies were struggling just to keep their businesses afloat. So you're right. A lot of our customers, unfortunately and sadly, they come to us when they're already bleeding and they're leaving blood all over the place. But the good thing is because of those clients, we were able to identify work streams, frameworks, tactics and all type of things that could prevent these things to happen and almost kind of see it as preventive treatment. So for example, one of those things that we specialize right now with a lot of our clients that are coming to us in very early stages is, okay, how much time you're spending in the problem space rather than the solving or the solution space. And that's something that a lot of, especially the C-level suite, they don't spend enough time because you just said it, like you have to go to the next funding round. You have to have answers for your investors. And most of your actions are number one, intuition based, and therefore they are reactive. So you're always in this kind of fight or flight mode where everything that happens to you is, okay, let's put a bandaid. And then you leave putting band-aids all over your organization. So I think what revenue operations does effectively and linking that to gap thinking again is, okay, let's start from the very beginning. You are still not that big of a sales team. How are your systems? Let's identify those silos, both in people and in systems. And let's start to break them from very early stages, six people, seven people on the sales team. Like that's exactly where you need to start. Amazing. And when you're doing that exercise, how often do you find that it happens that when you're initially talking to somebody, they think the problem is one thing. And then when you dig in, it's the other. And you made me think about like the people versus the tools. Like how often are you like, this is where it's showing up. Like this is where you see the issue. But the issue is actually over here with this thing you're not looking at. Does that happen? (laughs) 99% of the times, of course, of course. And that's funny because even though you have to operate with the mentality of, yeah, your customer is right. When you're in a consultancy or an agency, you also have the privilege of saying, well, there's a reason why you hire us. And there's a reason why we have trained the best of the best people in every operations instance. And we are here to help. So I think everything goes on how you approach those problems, because a lot of the people that come to us are going to be kind of rejecting help in, in a lot of ways. So they come for a project and they think that's going to be the solution, as you said. But then soon enough, we realize like, oh, my God, we had like other three bigger problems that are possibly going to impact revenue will have a stronger impact to revenue. And the conversation is always very hard because you are talking about the VP of sales, the CRO, the CMO, the head of marketing ops, people that are very strategic and that their face is on the line. So they are not going to be willing to accept, oh, wait a minute, what I thought is not what is right. It's tough. I'm telling you. 
Well, because sometimes you feel like you have to call other people's kids ugly, you know? And that's really awkward. You have to be like, well, you know, the problem is actually this thing that you built that maybe, you know, it worked when you were a smaller company, but now it doesn't work anymore and you never fix that thing. And so then you have to be in this weird place where you're like, what you built doesn't work. And then you have to be the one to do that. Right. Oh my God. I, I almost speed my, my dream because what do you say? What do you have to call people's baby ugly? Yeah. yeah. I've been one of the people that call babies ugly and it hasn't played well. So I guess that's why I, I ended up in an agency. Yeah. Right. And they pay you to do that, right? It's like, look, I'm paying you to tell me my kids are ugly. And speaking of that, like going one level deeper, are there certain areas of the business that you find, especially B2B tech companies consistently have gaps and they don't realize it? Like, is there one area? Is it like, we always focus on forecasting. It's always tools. It's always sales process. Like where are the themes? I think the one of the main things that we see is data cleansing. Like uh-huh. the state of their data. And we think about that very, very deeply in, in revenue operations. And also I have joined the advisory board at Curry, which is a data company that focuses precisely on unifying the entire data ecosystem. And it's been so interesting, Christina, because people, again, people see jobs as a temporary thing. The days where you would stay with a company 15 years are gone. And with that, of course, that high churn, especially on your operations teams, can hurt a lot because you change, for example, your CRM architects, you change your administrators in the marketing up systems. And so the rotation of these positions is so high. And then you combine that with the hyper growth stages where one day you were 15 people and then the next day you are 45 and then the next month you are 150 and then the next quarter you are a thousand employees all of that combined makes a mess in the systems and so data cleansing is one of those things where we penetrate with a small project and then we start to land and expand to other instances of the business simply because that's where the strategy leaves but yeah data cleansing is one of a big one a big one I am not surprised that you said that. When I think back to my sales leadership days, it feels like a lot of the problems that we would get down to would come down to the quality of data or where it was coming from and how it was being input. Why do you think this continues to be such an issue? Because on the one hand, like we're in B2B tech. If there is anywhere that we should be able to have the tools to manage something like data, it would be within our own infrastructure. Like it exists. Why do we struggle? Is it because of hyper growth? Is it because we all think we can do it in Google Docs? Like why is this always a pain point? Oh, that's a good one. And I wish I have an answer that would apply to every company. And unfortunately, there's no good answer to this. I think it's not a one thing problem. I think it's a mix of everything that you said, plus the fact that if you think, for example, a CRM solution, it can be very, very beneficial to your organization because, for example, things like Salesforce, Pipedrive, they came to really change the way we do sales. Absolutely right. But the level of personalization that can happen in just in one solution, in this case, again, a CRM, is so massive that at the end you keep thinking that it's a tool problem when in reality it's a user problem where, okay, how are you really building that CRM to work for you instead of against you? And most organizations, they just go into a tool, pay the money, and they don't have either the right person to manage it, or they just don't know how to manage it as the company grows. Because your CRM is not going to be the same one when you're in Series A and when you're in Series D or IPO. That's for sure. Your systems are going to change. The same way that your culture changes, yeah, your systems are going to change, and people don't want to accept that. So you have to have both a builder and potentially 
can become a, a maintainer or you just hire both people in like separately in, as you grow. But I think that's why it happens. It's not a one thing, definitely. This is an incredible point because I know that there is a lot of companies in their early stages where they're getting tools like a CRM. It's like, if anything, you need something like that to manage your data, especially as you grow. A lot of companies are buying these tools before they have someone to manage them, right? So then you have like a sales manager or a CEO or a CRO who is in charge of trying to build the CRM. And then you have random sales reps who are adding data to it, but there's nobody checking the data, right? And then by the time you hire someone to come in and actually be your CRM administrator, it's such a mess. And that person's job then, talk to me about what their job is. Like if you are somebody who has been hired to manage a CRM that already exists, you have to fix everything that's broken and then also tell everyone to change. And nobody likes you. (laughs) Exactly. And then that person leaves six months after. So that's a story of your life. Yes. And so to avoid that, would you say that if you are like when you are going to invest in a tool like that, like a CRM tool that is, you're going to have it in the beginning and you're going to have it the whole way through, like don't bring on an administrative tool like that without someone in place to manage it or no? I think, Christina, the first thing that I would say is, I mean, stay away from, okay, I get it. The CRM is super shiny. It's a really shiny toy and it's really nice and it it has a really (laughs) nice packaging. Yeah, I I get it. I'm like a kid. Like I get distracted with colors for God's sake. So I get it. But what I could advise companies and what we've seen is, okay, take a minute or two, step back and see if you have the processes in place and all the documentation ready for someone to come in and be successful at managing the tool stack. So what I mean is a lot of people don't even talk about documentation, but if you don't do it almost as, and it becomes like almost part of the culture, then there's no way that you can bring an administrator because you don't even like, to my point, what's going to happen when that person leaves? You need to have enough documentation for someone else to pick up their work and still be successful. So before you invest on the tool per se, Please take a minute and see if you have the processes in place that are repeatable, that are understandable and that are digestible. Otherwise, you are not ready. You're definitely not ready to get something as sophisticated as that. Yes, this is key and sage advice because we all know that we rush into it. And like you said, we want the shiny thing. We need the shiny thing. And then we get the shiny thing. And we're like, what do we do with the shiny thing? I guess we'll just see what happens. And a lot of times what happens is you wind up with revenue gaps. And so do you advise, I guess we'll kind of take it this way. Do you advise that wherever you are in your business right now, Stop, take a pause, and instead of living in a world of reacting and identifying problems when they slap you in the face and then fixing them, taking the steps to go, what am I not seeing right now? Like, is it as simple as saying, hold on, like, I know there's gaps in my business. I know that there are gaps in my processes and in my tools. I know they exist. Is it, should everyone, regardless of where they are, just stop and do that exercise? I think it depends on whose responsibility is that to do and in which Mm. stage of the life cycle and what stage the company is. So for example, if you only hire the VP of sales, so maybe you're in series B, series C, and you just hire your first head of sales. The responsibility of that person is for sure to take a step back or like probably at the very beginning interview every single rep and probably listen to all the calls and everything. But if you're in in an early stage, probably that responsibility is going to fall into the CEO. So it depends on the stage, but I would definitely say, yes, take your time. More than that is prioritize because every single head of the departments, they are going to have too many one priorities. And even if you take the time to analyze your pipeline, 
it's going to be really hard to say, what do I work on first? And so I think prioritization is another one of those muscles that needs to come early in this stage of the company and to really enable the entire revenue team to be hyper vigilant of, hey, how are we doing everything, not only on the people side, but again, on the systems as well. You make another great point when you say the entire revenue team. I think drilling into your role specifically, we often think about like something can be broken with new business sales. Something can be broken with our customer lifecycle management. What about revenue operations and deals desk and the CRM? You coming from marketing, that's also a line of business within the revenue organization that I can imagine often has several gaps or issues that need to be addressed. So for other marketers out there, what should you be looking out for that are typically pitfalls? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question because marketing, it's actually very new that marketing, it's starting to be seen a strategic department instead of a support department. And with that comes the need of, okay, marketing is going to own a revenue number. And we were not trained to do that. In my almost 11 years as a marketer, probably it's been only seven where I'm like, okay, how am I impacting revenue metrics? For example, like pipeline creation or amount of ACBs, like kind of those metrics that the common marketer was not even looking at because historically you've been looking at engagement numbers or like probably website traffic or downloads or like those type of metrics that again, you need to keep the temperature on. But I think one of the main pitfalls is the lack of openness from the marketer to say, okay, you have to start transitioning to almost be an AE in order to really effectively understand your funnel. Because there's no other way, like even if you meet with sales every single day, if you don't go with them, if you don't take a couple of prospecting calls, if you don't listen to the calls after that in in whatever sales intelligent software that you are using, there's no other way to have the information to be effective, for example, in the messaging that you are providing or in what stage you, you are uh, targeting your customers. Is it on the website? Is it on the chat board? Is it with a newsletter? Like where is it? You are not able to talk to the different instances of marketing. And I think that's the most interesting thing. When you see sales, there's a lot of nuances on the idea of how to target the accounts. But when you look at marketing, you just need to have a thousand million arms to be able to target branding and paid acquisition and field marketing and customer marketing. And so there's just so many functions that you just don't see in sales. So I think that's one of the main pitfalls to be focusing in everything and you end up focusing on nothing. So I think the first advice would be like, just go with sales and start being comfortable being an AE. And the newness, I mean, the newness that you talked about, I often say it's like, it's got its baby deer legs where you're first starting out and you're like knocking knees and you're like, this is my first time doing this. I'm a little bit awkward. And like just the newness in and of itself is there. And, you know, maybe this is a controversial question for you, but do you feel like this direction of marketing where they're much more aligned with sales, they're taking on a revenue target, they're having to think about things differently than they always have and take on this. I am now a front of the line role versus a support supporting role. Do you think that's the right direction? Absolutely. I think it is more responsibility for sure. And it's a mindset that came to change. And not every marketer is going to feel comfortable. If you put like a dashboard or something for the regular market, because it has happened to me with people that I have trained in the past, and they break so easily seeing a dashboard. It's like, wait, you're supposed to be a marketer. Like being a marketer implies that you need to equally understand the art and the design and the creative stuff. And at the same time, be able to understand the technicalities, of course, the tool stack, the analytics, 
And you need to be jumping from those sides of your brain as much often as possible. So I think this era where marketing is becoming sales and sales is becoming marketing, it's the absolutely the best thing that has happened to marketing since the very beginning. Well, that and marketing automation systems, that's a beautiful change that happened. But yeah, I think it's here to stay simply because if you are not aligned to your entire revenue team, the only one that is gonna suffer that pain is your customer because they are gonna feel it. They are gonna feel that internally you are not not communicating effectively. They are going to feel it in what they are receiving in all the interactions that you have with them. You're going to see that very easily. Absolutely. And you probably see it more than I do. But this idea that the right hand doesn't know what the left is doing in a lot of senses, like I've heard sales reps say, I don't have any contact with this account in the last 90 days. And you look at the CRM and there's eight emails that have been sent by marketing and they go, (laughs) oh, well, no, that was a marketing send. That wasn't me. And you're like, to the customer, that's an email from your company. So like, to me, it's like when we talk about gaps, like my God, it's like the gap there of the company viewing them themselves as these two opposing forces like east wing and west wing and we're ships passing in the night and so it sounds like creating a bond there so that communication to the customer from the company is unified and there's no marketing versus sales like a marketing send or a sales send it's like no we're working in sync exactly and that also applies to customer success the idea of bringing customer success after close one it's crazy and it's nuts to me like why on earth do you think that's gonna serve you or serve them it just doesn't make sense why you don't bring customer and not even customer support i'm talking customer success like literally your account managers why you don't bring them early on the sales cycles bring them as early as you're bringing marketing get them interacting with the chatbots those people are gonna be gold for landing and expanding why you don't give them the right tools and the right amount of time with your customers i think that's the biggest mistake that i am seeing if we talk about customer success this is huge especially because we expect the customer no matter what to have to tell their story their pain their strife their goals at least twice if not more that's assuming that the person who was the account manager didn't get promoted or the account executive didn't leave and we actually think it's good customer service to have the account executive run call it a 90-day sales cycle where we're doing discovery we're getting pain we're setting goals we're talking about future state we're talking about current state and then you pass it over to your account manager and we think it's great service to have the account manager go all right so tell me why you bought and the customer's like you know it's like i see that often as the process and they'll look at notes but they're like so let's have a discovery right and the customer's like i just gave you i feel like we just had a relationship and now you're someone you new and i have to, to start over you lied yeah. to me yeah right so i just think that point that you make about thinking always from the customer standpoint and like if you are going to have a customer life cycle with an account manager involved involving them at the handoff and making the customer do double duty is horrible service and you're probably creating issues or missing something or breaking some tool that you're going to have to fix later and at the end christina i mean let's be honest every single business you're in business for a reason it's it's not a charity so yeah your customer is going to feel it but for your business it's going to just end up in lower acbs or lower yes. LTVs, which is equally painful. So your choice, if you want to just have transactional operations, go for it. I think right now, every single business has the opportunity to really change their revenue instances. And that means sales and marketing and customer success and the entire UTM team is evolving. And I think for the better. I mean, what a beautiful place to put a pin in there of you have the opportunity right now to evolve for the better. So do it. I love that. And that to me feels like a perfect opportunity to transition into our rapid reveal section. (laughs) 
So you've told us a lot about your expertise, but now we want more of you. So the rapid reveal, it's five questions. You have 60 seconds or less to answer each of them. Are you on board for this? I am a little nervous, but uh, nervous is, <laughs> is good, I guess. <laughs> Go for it. Great. And happy to have you as a guest and just make you nervous. Amazing. <laughs> We're going to get through it together. If I ask you something and you don't want to answer, just give me a look and I'll just gracefully <laughs> move on. People, you don't know what I am sweating like a pig right now because Christina is making me sweat, but I'll do it. Sweat. Yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> well, number one, just a super light. What was a defining moment in your life? Oh, I get your definition of light. I love it. A definitive moment in my life. Oh, boy. I would say, and I didn't really talk about this before, the moment where I was in an interview process and someone asked me, like, are you here to marry someone to get the green card? <gasps> that changed my life forever. And so I want to leave you with that face because we only have 60 seconds to answer this question. But uh, that was a definitive moment for sure. Well, I can break the rule. And now <laughs> I feel like where that's an important thing, why did the asking of that question, why was that a definitive moment? Was it the realization of the answer? Was it just it happening to you? Like, what about that was the moment? Okay, now that we're breaking the rules, I think it did something to my brain, to my soul, to my entire thinking, right? Because as I was telling you, Christine, I, I was lucky enough to be born and raised in, in opportunity. That's how I call it. And opportunities have always been in my life. And so when I heard that person, and I already invested in, in my first master's degree by that moment. So I was already well educated. Not that education means anything, but it means a lot. And I think it ties exactly on how you treat people. And that's why I believe in education. So the moment that I heard that something broke inside of me and I don't think it ever go back to normal at least not until today because I realized that I heard that without the need of having to hear it and so putting myself into that situation and leaving that room it was just super tough and I think I never went back to accept the things that didn't serve me I think that was the moment when I said I don't need to deal with miserable people and I didn't until today I'm glad that I broke the rule and made you break the rule. And I say that because so many, especially women or those who identify as female, have experiences where they feel like the world or someone is taking them down a peg or not taking them seriously or demeaning them or putting out their light. And it changes you. Even when you overcome it, it changes you. After you heal from a cut, you have scar tissue. You're always changed from it. But it's where you go from there. But what I think is beautiful about what you shared is that you kept it with you. It became a part of you. And maybe it broke you then, but maybe now you can realize that you just bent. You didn't break. It became a part of you. So thank you for sharing and letting me break the rule. Of course. <laughs> Number two, what's an irrational fear of yours? I love the word irrational because I think I can describe myself a little bit irrational. I think one of a very rational fears of mine is that there's going to come the day where my brain is not going to absorb information and I'm going to stop learning. That's the day that I'll die. <laughs> I am telling you right now. Yeah, it's very irrational. I know it. But that's my fear that one day I'm going to stop learning and that scares the shit out of me. Yeah. yeah. Being scared that one day you won't be you anymore. Exactly. What does I look like? Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. That's a hope. You're like, hopefully at that point, I don't realize it's happening. Like in my mind, I'm like on a beach and I'm like, I'm great. And I know, you know, <laughs> let's hope exactly. the awareness goes too, right? <laughs> Beautiful. I imagine there's a lot of answers to this question, but what is the most unique thing about you? 
my mind it's very colorful in here people say that you should step in in someone else's shoes to understand them i don't think anyone would like to walk on my shoes because it's fun it's fun it's again very colorful but i think that's what makes me unique it can be very dark sometimes and it can be very very bright some others so i think by my mind i say the way i understand the world and people it's the most unique thing about me Oh, beautiful. Well, the sparkliest of diamonds have the most facets. So I would say embrace that. Um, you have a good answer for everything, woman. You're killing it. You're making me sweat. I don't... <laughs> okay. All right. Number four. If you could teach someone only one life skill, what would it be? People listen, 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 and listen for the sake of understanding, not for the sake of answering. Someone very close to me once told me, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I never forgot that. So please use that proportion and just be ready. Like Christina, just today, she sent me the preparation like 20 minutes before. So I had no idea what was going to happen today. <laughs> Do that. Be Christina, like be willing to challenge people and just be able to listen carefully. I love that. And number five, kind of on the flip side, what are you terrible at? Ooh, oh my God, <laughs> Christian, you're going to kill me. Documentation. I know I started the conversation. <laughs> I know revenue operations. I know it. It was my nemesis. It's still my nemesis. I live with a notebook. I sleep with a notebook. I wake up with a notebook. But when you ask me to take notes on the computer, ee And so, yeah, Go Nimbly has had a lot of fun with me, teaching me that skill. Yep. I mean, I often say it's not bad to not, it's like you can be terrible at things as long as you know what they are, because then you delegate, right? You're like, if you don't know what you're bad at, then you're actually worse. Um, well, yeah, in my case, I can delegate like my meetings, right? I don't have right. a personal assistant. So I'm just trying. I'm trying people. Yeah, I'll get there someday. Yeah. I mean, for me, I have always been terrible at creating visuals, like talking to a marketer. It's like, if you look at my decks, if I had to just build a deck out of like a Google doc, it's the worst thing you've ever seen. Canva saved my life. And I've just said, like, I am terrible. at Like I put bullet points on a page and I'm like, that's good. And everyone's like, that's terrible. I'm like, well, <laughs> then give me a tool. Um, I'll teach you. I'll teach you how to do that. No worries. <laughs> Thank you. See, we got this. All right. So we are coming up on our time. This has been an amazing conversation. My face hurts from smiling. If people want to learn more about you or learn more about Go Nimbly or connect with you, where can they go to find you? To the place that everyone lives now, LinkedIn. Go and hit me. I'm always open for a conversation. Yeah, very happy to connect with people that yeah. Beautiful. Well, Lorena, thank you again for being here. I appreciate you spending time with us on Taking the Lead. This has been a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed learning from you, learning about you, and learning from your story. And it's been incredible having you as a guest. Thank you again. Thank you, Christina. And thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Sales Assembly. For more information about membership or our free 60-day trial, visit us at salesassembly.com. And if you like what you just heard, please subscribe to Taking the Lead on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.